Welcome to Still Pretty, a Buffy the Vampire Slayer podcast from Chipperish Media. I'm confused, but sort of randomly observant film scholar, Noelle LaCroix. And I'm story expert with a shrill edge of hysteria in my voice, Lonnie Diane Rich, and we are here today to talk about First Date, the 14th episode of Season 7. First Date aired on February 11th, 2003, and was written by Jane Espenson and directed by David Grossman. Still Pretty is a fully spoiled, full-spectrum Buffy podcast, so if you haven't seen all of the show, go take care of that, and we'll spend eternity in pain because of what you did. My feelings are changeable, but intense. Let's go on patrol. In First Date, Giles patrols with Buffy and the Potentials, telling them about how his years of training and finely honed instincts helped him sense the bringer about to kill him and get the best of him in the fight. During his barrage of bullshit, Spike attacks Giles, thinking he's the first. Spike is shocked to discover that Giles has corporeal form, and Giles is shocked to discover that Spike's chip has been removed. Later, Giles lectures Buffy on letting her feelings for Spike affect her judgment. Meanwhile, at the hardware store, Xander flirts awkwardly with a pretty Ashanti by helping her select rope to store her kayak. Not a bad plan. You'll need stronger rope than that. Want to have coffee with me later? Later, we see Buffy sneak into Principal Wood's office to snoop, but she gets caught and Wood invites her out to dinner before sending her out. After she leaves, he takes a bloody knife out of his pocket, wipes it off with a handkerchief, and slides up the whiteboard to reveal his custom-made cabinet of shiny weapons. Back at the house, Buffy processes her possible date with Principal Wood with Willow. Maybe it's a date? Maybe she's getting promoted? Maybe it's because he knows she suspects him and he's planning to kill her? Well, you'll have to dress for the ambiguity. Buffy decides that she's attracted to Principal Wood, so if he's not inviting her out to kill her, she might be into it. Then Xander busts in with his news. He also has a date. Buffy asks Willow to do a background check on Principal Wood, and Willow offers to do the same for Xander's date, but he declines. I'm going to be an optimist about this. Why go looking for trouble? It's going to find you. It's going to find you. In the kitchen, Andrew is trying to figure out the microwave when the first shows up as Jonathan and gives him a job to do. The girls must die. In the bathroom, Anya helps Buffy get a stain out of her shirt. Could be blood, could be pizza. While expressing her discomfort with Xander dating. Buffy takes the shirt and runs, only to bump into Spike in the hallway, who learns about her date and, you know, is cool with it. I think I still dream of a crypt for two with a white picket fence. My eyes are clear. He's totally not cool with it. At the house, Willow finds absolutely nothing about Principal Wood, which in itself is suspicious, but not as suspicious as the way Andrew is watching everyone from behind the door. Out in the darkened alleys of Sunnydale, the suspicious Principal Wood leads Buffy to what he promises is the best-kept secret in Sunnydale. In a completely unforeseeable happenstance, they get attacked by vampires. Buffy dispatches with a few of them and then turns to accuse Wood of setting her up only to see him expertly dust the last two vamps. I guess we should talk. Over coffee, Xander flirts with Ashanti and she offers some advice on getting over Anya, which Xander appreciates. I should have taken you on a nicer date than this. Well, I can think of something fun to do. At the restaurant, Wood reveals to Buffy that he's a demon fighter living and working in Sunnydale to help fight the good fight against the big evil. He's also the son of a slayer, killed by a vampire in the 70s. You've seen Fool for Love. You know what that means. Back at the Summer's house, Andrew meets with the first to get instructions on how he should kill all the potentials. He also tries to learn more about the first, like if it has allergies and when it wants to kill Buffy. The first gets wise to Andrew's weirdness and figures out he's wearing a wire, then goes down to visit Willow and the potentials in the basement who are listening in. So many dead girls. Will be so many. Meanwhile, in the school basement, Ashanti has Xander strapped to the Catherine wheel and suspended over the seal, preparing to bleed him into the seal. This can't just happen. It can't just keep happening that demon women find me attractive. Back at home, everyone does a post-mortem on the interaction with the first, which didn't tell them much except that it wants the potentials dead, and it's not time for Spike. Yet. Willow gets a text from Xander in their secret code, which either means he got lucky or his date's a demon who's trying to kill him, but she can't remember. Well, if we play the percentages... Something's eating Xander's head. When they call Buffy's phone to get her back from her date, it rings in the living room, so Spike goes out to get her. He interrupts the tender moment of Wood and Buffy eating French food together and tells Buffy that Xander's in danger. Wood drives while they awkwardly travel out to the school to rescue Xander. 
They crash Ashanti's party, and Spike vamps during the fight. Ashanti kicks the shit out of Spike before Buffy beheads her, and then rushes to his side. Wood watches as Buffy and Spike share a tender moment. At home, Anya is worried about Xander, certain his date has killed him by now. I thought you were all angry at him. My feelings are changeable, but intense. Xander, Spike, and Buffy return from their adventure. Xander decides that his solution to demon women wanting to kill him is to catch being gay from Willow. While they're joking, Giles yells at them to start taking things seriously, and he's got a point. Later, Spike sits with Buffy and suggests that he should leave, since it's clear the first has a purpose for him later. Now that there's another demon fighter in the mix, they can spare him. Buffy says she can't, and he asks why. Because I'm not ready for you to not be here. Meanwhile, back at Robin Wood's place, he looks at himself in the mirror and sees behind him his dead mother, clearly animated by the first, who tells him she's there because he's a player now. He tells her he's there to take her out, and until then, he doesn't have any use for her. He starts to walk away until she offers to tell him who killed her. You met him. You know him. You fought at his side. Spike. All right, Noelle, so here we are in in first date in our season seven doldrums, <laughs> which tends to happen when you have, you know, not to put the blame for this on anything other than like where it belongs. But I mean, when you have a show that has 22 episodes to do in a season, you kind of get these episodes where nothing's really happening. Um, and you know, usually that's okay. But then sometimes what is happening is not okay. So uh, with that lead in, uh, <laughs> how do you feel about first date? <laughs> Lonnie, what in the white supremacy is going on here? I thought I was upset last week. <laughs> This is some next level shenanigans. It it is. It really super is. Um, and there are some things that I like in this episode. Like, I'm not going to lie. There are some things that I like. But mostly, it's pretty terrible on both the writing front and on the being human front. So considering that those are two of my favorite fronts, um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of difficult to... Um, to kind of get through it. I think the first thing we need to talk about that we need to kind of like just sit with for a little bit is once again, our recurring segment, the unbearable whiteness of Buffy. Again, credit to Dr. Sharice Laprie who coined that term for me. Um, so here we are. And, um, you know, we're going to talk in a little while about the burden of Mr. X with Principal Wood. But up front, I'd like to say that he is our only major character of color, which it took us seven seasons to get. So making him all sketchy in the first place is a bad call. And this is not to say that black people, people of color uh, can't be villains. They can. Uh, villains are some of the most fun that there is to be had in fiction. So absolutely. But when you only have one person of color um, and they are the villain, you're saying something with that whether you mean to or not and I know this because I did it in one of my books not meaning to the character was awesome and I thought that that was great uh, so I thought it didn't matter but it does and it sucks um, so that being you know one of the things that we're doing not to mention the fact that almost all I think of the black people that we've had on the show have been murdered at one point or another like, none of them have survived their tenure on Buffy, I don't think. Except um, maybe Dawn's unnamed black friend, but that in and of itself is a problem. Is another problem, exactly. So I think that these are things that we really have to kind of be aware of, you know, Um and then also we have, you know, Ashanti, uh, the pop singer, guest starring in this episode, which is awesome, but guest starring as a demon who eventually gets beheaded. Um, like the the fact that this show is, I would say, littered with black and brown bodies, except it, there's just there aren't enough. There isn't enough representation. It's just that they all end up dying, you know? Yeah. And there's a difference between representation and presence. And I think that's what you're getting exactly. at with the Principal Woods stuff. Like, it's great yeah. to have. It's great to have this incredible black actor on screen for mm -hmm. so much of the season. But you're making the black man shifty and then for no fucking reason, which we will get into when you talk about yeah. the, you know, the banana pants <laughs> misdirect <laughs> that is that. Yeah. Whole thing. Like, it's just it's like, OK, great. So we have we have actors. We have black actors 
mm-hmm. but they're villains or they're sketchy. Like that's yeah. not it's not representation that's reinstating harmful ideas about the date like the uh. <laughs> right and you know and the thing is it's like you know there, there's a difference between you know uh, diversity between presence you know and actual like inclusion above the line and i mean i haven't done a full like an absolutely like conclusive study but like going through imdb clicking on the people seeing the pictures when there are pictures white like white all the way through. Um, and I think that that may be part of what leads to something happening like Chow An. Um, Chow An yeah. in this episode, is, it, it's so unbelievably bad that I honestly, I don't know where to start. Like she's she's got no character or personality of her own. The joke is she's Asian and she doesn't know what's going on and she's lactose intolerant. Uh, which makes her a comedy mule in which the comedy that she's delivering is where she's the butt of the joke. And it just, it hurts to watch. And so I was thinking about this, like we had prior to this, I believe two speaking Asian characters on Buffy. Um, We have an unnamed and again, unnamed means not terribly important, not important enough to name. We have the unnamed Cordette uh, played by Nicole Bilderback in season three, who we killed and drank on screen in the wish and then undid that later because the wish was undone, but we still killed her, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and we have uh, Zin Rong, the Chinese slayer Spike killed in Fool for Love, although she is unnamed in the show. Uh, we get her name a little bit later in the comics, so I'm going to name her now. But in the show, she was unnamed. She was just simply the Chinese slayer. Um, and while we're on the hook for Fool for Love, let's take a moment to remember that this is an episode in which we see a white man brutally murder first a Chinese woman and then a black one. Um, but I think... That's it for Asian speaking characters. And we killed both of them. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So so here we have Chow An brought in simply to be this this comedy mule. Uh, but we're not even doing what we did with Anya, which is at least give her character and perspective, you know, occasionally see things from her point of view. We're just playing this joke that like, oh, she's Chinese and she can't understand anything and she's lactose intolerant, Um, which are, you know, thin, I guess, jokes anyway. Like they're not it's not funny anyway. So I don't know, like the whole thing. Yeah. And it's it's especially puzzling and troubling because I think. The humor here, using the biggest scare quotes ever, the humor mm-hmm. here is Giles doesn't get it. Giles is being yeah. terrible to this mm-hmm. girl. But then Giles is allowed to be like wise and insightful at the end when he's like, actually, we need to take this seriously. And it's like, yeah, dude, actually, you need to take this seriously because this young woman is a potential slayer. Like mm-hmm. he's he he makes the fucking flashcards like she's a potential slayer. She needs to know this. But like you didn't think to go, I don't know, get a dictionary so you could maybe communicate a little bit. I, I don't know. And like, what is what is the point of this other than to make racist jokes? Because, yeah, there's I mean. It's not it's not racist jokes, but there's a better story if you have this Mm -hmm. potential slayer who doesn't speak any English and then, oh, wait, maybe the potentials who are such a wonderful group, you know, Mm-hmm. now like are forming this bond together maybe they all get together and like figure out how they're going to communicate with this fellow potential slayer through yeah. this language barrier like there's a story there there could definitely be something there but she is is isolated in every possible way like including the ability to communicate with anybody there you know and that is the joke is how isolated she is 
Like, that's funny. And the thing is, is that this is like, yeah, if if we had a character that, you know, that nobody spoke their language and then, you know, we had people actually trying to speak their language or something like that. Like if Giles was speaking terrible Cantonese and the joke was, oh, you know, Giles is really, really bad at this or whatever. But that's like not what we're doing. But also this is a written choice. Like we don't have to have her unable to communicate in English. We could have her come in and bring something of value to the table and actually be a character, you know, in the show. But we're choosing not to do that. We're choosing to take the one Asian character we've got in a show that has only ever had two other Asian characters on it both unnamed, you know, um, and both killed. Um, And then, you know, make this joke in it that doesn't have any purpose aside from mocking the Asian girl who has been pulled out of her world and brought to a place where she is in danger and she's scared, certainly. Like, there's whole... And it's funny that he traumatizes her with these pictures and then she's locked in the bathroom crying like the... We're using that as a joke. Like yeah. her trauma is a joke. Her isolation is a joke. And it hurts. Like it hurts me to watch it, you know, because I love this show. And it just breaks my heart that this is something that the show spent time doing, like active harm, you know, yeah. like really active. Um, so, yeah, I find that all um, it, it, it's. It just, it ruins so much. Like, there are things that I enjoy, you know, in this episode. Oh, yeah. But it ruins a lot of stuff for me. Yeah. You know, like, it it just ruins a lot of, a lot of, like, this episode makes this episode almost unwatchable for me. It's so bad. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Um, so what are your thoughts overall on the narrative of this episode? Okay. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're, I, I don't. I don't know what's going on, honestly. Yeah. Like, like that's <laughs> truly, truly what my initial sense of the story, like what the actual fuck is going on here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not I'm not a story expert. Maybe I'm missing something. But it feels to me like the last four minutes of this episode are incredible. We get mm-hmm. 38 minutes and 42 seconds of tomfoolery and then four minutes of plot. Yeah. And what's wild is that after being just the worst for the entire episode, Giles is spot on at the end with his speech about we don't have time for this nonsense about who's dating whom and everyone's dietary restrictions and sexual orientations. Like, not that long ago, season-wise, Buffy was mm-hmm. declaring war, literally. Yeah. So Giles, when Giles suddenly, I don't know, becomes okay again for a mm-hmm. minute and is like, Look, everyone needs to stop fucking around. Like, he's absolutely right. But I also, like, you're telling on yourself a little bit, show. Like, we're 14 Mm -hmm. episodes into a season, and I still don't feel like the season has started in a lot of ways. What are we Mm -hmm. doing? What is this? Nothing. We're doing nothing. I mean, it is this like, you know, mid-season doldrums where it's like, well, we don't want to get started on the actual story. Uh, so we're just going to sit here and, you know, and jazz hands our way through an episode in which it's all nothing, you know. Um, and we again revisit, you know, uh, this this Un, like yet another misdirect in this season. Um, in my original Still Pretty video about First Date, I named the collective noun for misdirects and storytelling as a burden of misdirects because by the time in this season, we are actually carrying a burden of misdirects. And as a reminder, a misdirect is when we as viewers are clearly led to believe something that later turns out not to be true and not always bad. Um, you know, last week we talked about false twists, right? Um, which I think I'd like to rename empty twists because in the the end there's no change mm-hmm. an empty twist mm-hmm. is when the thing that we're led to suspect is in fact not true but also there's no change in the story it's gift wrapped box all ribbons and pretty paper but when you open it there's nothing inside um so dead slash first giles is an empty twist in the end there's no change to the story and if you lift the whole misdirect out you lose nothing in the narrative itself um now you might argue that the potential twist with dawn is also an empty twist because dawn turns out not to be a potential except that there is something in the box when we open it. 
Amanda. And Amanda being in the box explains every piece of evidence that made us think that Dawn would be in the box. Um, so neither the Giles Mr. X nor the Robin Wood Mr. X serve as red herrings for another reality. It's basically all just psych. Mm-hmm. And that is not narrative. That is, that is you know, nothing. Um, so once again, in the pursuit of the fetishized twist, uh, the show ends up purposely misleading us, sometimes even outright lying to us, all to get us to grab the gift box and shake it, wondering what's inside when there is literally nothing inside. Um, and the writers out there, I have to tell you, this creates trust issues with your readers and trust issues are death to a story because belief is life to a story so learn from your forebears here if you are going to give people a gift wrapped box to shake make sure that there is something inside of it um and that brings me to you know this misdirect which we have been leading to all season the robin wood is evil question mark Mm -hmm. storyline um it's one of the worst cases of burdens of misdirects in service of an empty twist that i have ever seen I mean, we have been doing this nonsense all season. In Lessons, as Principal Wood walks away after meeting Buffy and Dawn, Buffy says, That was suspicious. In Never Leave Me, we have Wood finding Jonathan's dead body, carrying it out to an oil field and burying it where no one will ever find it because he is not evil, question mark. And Bring on the Night, we see Wood returning to the basement with a shovel in his hand. And we get from Buffy. That's some full service principaling. And later in that episode, we have him watching Buffy suspiciously. And then we have his answer to her, what kind of movies do you like, question with. Mysteries. I love finding out what's underneath it all at the very end. God, I hate that one so much. Like, they're they're, they're all They're yeah. all bad, but that one? I don't know why. I don't, I, I don't know. Because it's so stupid because we have him answer this question with his back to Buffy as we see the smile of evil on his face. And then here we get Wood's bloody knife going into the cabinet of weapons, which is not unlike the mayor's cabinet. Yeah. Which, and he proved to be like really seriously evil dude, right? Uh, so then... He takes Buffy out to a restaurant with an unmarked door behind an alley full of vampires. All of this to be like, he's so sketchy, which in the end, he isn't. What he is is a kid who wants to kill the vampire who f- killed his fridged mother, which is understandable. Um, he's just a good dude fighting the fight and apparently being taken over by the first, which is why he buried Jonathan, I guess, question mark, except that when he sees his mother, this is the first time he's had contact with the first. So we can't say that his mother as the first was influencing him all along. He just found found the dead body of a person in the basement of the school right? and buried it in an oil field and that for never PR purposes? comes up it never no. like we never and revisit why, that why the bloody why the bloody like weapon knife what is the you know that never comes today up in this episode we don't address that what the what hell? was he why was it bloody what mm. Mm. And it fits perfectly in the space where it was missing in his customized weapon cabinet. So clearly it's his and he's not taking it back from a kid who just, I don't know, stabbed another kid. I don't understand any of this. It is so bad. It is a burden of misdirects. And we have all of that. And we have it a little bit with Andrew in this episode where we're like, you know, he's talking to the first and then we see him, you know, very evilly watching over everybody when they're at the table and it's so suspicious. And then that gets turned around in that. No, he's good now. He's wearing a wire. Which again, Okay. It's yeah. Cute though. Cute though. See, I like no, Andrew. No, cute. I like His, the performance is great. I like Andrew. Actually, I mm-hmm. love Andrew. That's yeah. just we know this at this point. We know mm-hmm. that. I I don't read the Andrew stuff in this episode quite as misdirecty as all that. And I don't know, maybe that's the difference between mm-hmm. being Doing the like slow, creepy thing in the shadows about a black actor versus a white actor. Maybe mm-hmm. it's we have a different relationship with Andrew where he's evil and shifty, but we don't take him that seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know. I actually I don't I don't feel like we get a misdirect with Andrew so much. The reason why we do 
And the reason why is we have like one of the things for a good misdirect in which there is something in the box, which is what we have with Andrew. There is something in the box. He is actually doing this to get information out of the first. So we've got something in the box. That's good. It's not an empty twist. But the misdirect making us think he's evil. We have him watching from the shadows with this whole evil shot, which if he is actually in cahoots with everybody there, we wouldn't have. So it violates the rule of no flag on the play right because there there is why is he staring at them why are we choosing because everything in fiction is a choice so like you can't say oh but in reality maybe he was just or what this isn't reality this is a choice a specific choice that the writers make in order to you know psych us out or whatever right with this misdirect if there was a reason why he would be lurking in the shadows <laughs> watching all of the potentials that actually went that actually you know made more sense with what was actually in the box then okay fine it's one shot the rest of it is fair play. Yeah. It's one shot. And it, that's what irritates me. But overall, compared especially to the other, like, incredible offenses that have been made in this arena of the empty twist um, throughout this season, I would say, you know, it's not as bad as the others. Absolutely pays off way more than the others. Definitely. But because I'm already annoyed, it's that little piece of sand mm -hmm. in your in your shoe that you're like, you're already irritated. Yeah. It's just going to bother you that much more. So that's all. That's my only argument. Otherwise, I'm completely with you. I think it's adorable. And I love Tom Lank and Andrew. I love his whole affect in this episode. Mm -hmm. Do I believe him when he says he's going to make amends or whatever after the fight is over? No, not really. I don't really believe him. Yeah. But I like him trying to figure out where he fits into the world of Buffy and her extraordinary friends. <laughs> Especially when he says, confidentially, a lot of her people are murderers. I love that line. <laughs> and cute. you know what? Fair enough. Yeah, it's very He starts cute. listing them like Anya, Spike, Willow. Yeah, yeah he's a very... He, I mean, in the not advancing the story space, like, mm -hmm. I feel like Andrew, like, we advance Andrew's story probably <laughs> more than anybody else's. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Andrew reading the instructions for the new microwave is my whole heart, though. Oh, God. Getting the most so out of your cute. new microwave. Like, sweet Andrew. And then, and yeah. no, Jonathan slash the first setting the clock on the microwave is not intuitive. You asshat. I mean, exactly. I know it's literally the what first evil, but like, come with? on. Also, what do you know about a microwave? You ancient primordial <laughs> ancient evil? evil? What are you doing? Like, anyway, anyway. But I love, I love mm -hmm. Andrew and his relationship to the summer's home and his relationship yeah. to this group of people i i love him trying to figure it out um mm -hmm. and there's there's this really interesting moment where andrew is thinking about where they put the gun so the jonathan as mm -hmm. the first is is asking him about this you know what is it that will have brought into the house that could help you and he's like the new microwave like it's great but then <laughs> there's this moment where he's thinking about He's thinking about it. And we get this close-up of him that's so interesting, just like lighting-wise, because they make mm -hmm. him look very pretty in a way that I'm not used to seeing the men on the show look pretty. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what to do with that. I mean, it's just one of those things. Like, there were a lot of things in this episode that I'm like, mm, that's a little thing that I noticed that I don't know mm -hmm. that it means anything. But I just, I like... It just lit up my brain for half a second of like, oh, he looks very pretty in this shot. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I don't know. There's not really any payoff for that. There's not really. I mean, maybe, maybe in the service of, oh, he's not actually going to side with the first. He's not actually right. evil. Maybe it's a. Give us a little of that halo effect. A little action. visual foreshadowing yeah. on on that. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. It's just it's it was there. I noticed it. I like it. I appreciate it. Mm -hmm. I don't have that much more to say about right. it. <laughs> He's adorable. Uh -huh. He's adorable. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit already about Giles and how inconsistent Giles is. Um, I he the way he talks to Buffy about her decision about Spike doesn't make any sense to me. Giles has become Joyce. Giles is the new conflict vending machine. We have an adult in the house and we just have to have him push back against Buffy. But the thing is, he didn't talk to Buffy like she was a child when she was a child, you know? And here he is 
talking to her in a way that does not trust the fact that she's been there on the ground the whole time, that does not trust who she has proven herself to be, you know, throughout the history of everything. I mean, you know, you have feelings for him and that clouds your blah, blah, blah. She had way more intense feelings for Angel and she killed that dude when he was human because she, or when he was human, when he had a soul because she had to, right? So the idea that she hasn't earned his trust at this point is completely ridiculous. The idea that he would talk to her like that, if you're looking, I mean, this is the same guy if you're looking for, you know, for judgment, you'll not get it from me back in Surprise and Innocence. You know, I mean, come on, this is not Giles. And the idea that he would treat Chow on like that, he would, if somebody there did not speak the language, he would find somebody who spoke the language and have them there translating. You know, um, I just don't. And he would know better than to, you know, I mean, the pictures are one thing, like, but they're clearly ridiculous. You know, they're clearly terrible. There's other ways to communicate. Uh, this girl is a potential who has been taken out of her home. She knows on some level what's going on. She has to, or either that or she's been kidnapped, you know? Yeah. Like she has yeah. to know. Either way, it's awful. It's all like, either terrible. way. And it's terrible for Giles. It's so it isn't bad. who Giles is. I mean, I don't know. I uh, It isn't who Giles is. I don't know. I don't know about that. But it does seem like we do a bunch of stuff with Giles, mm-hmm. you know, that we used to do with Joyce, that we do with a lot of the adults on this yeah. show of just, uh, just, we need someone to get in the way mm-hmm. and or not know what's going on. And it's like, but that is patently ridiculous in this situation mm-hmm. when Giles absolutely should be the one who knows what's going on and be, I mean, I said it already. He's the one who gives us this great, like, y'all need to take this fucking yeah. seriously speech. Mm-hmm. But then he doesn't, he's so blocked on his own not taking this series i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know it's just not it's not very good it's not very it's good it's not good and i mean i'm not saying that giles is perfect i'm just saying that this feels inconsistent even with a flawed giles you know like it just it feels really inconsistent with who he's been so giles in season 7 doesn't feel to me like the Giles that we we knew earlier in the series, you know, um, it just. Are we sure like... he's not the first? He could be the first. I don't, I don't know. know. I'm still holding. I think because Spike <laughs> tackled him, you know. I love that moment. <laughs> I do love the but, moment. Yeah. I love any moment of unexpected Spike flying through the air. Yes. That is a running gag on this show mm-hmm. that will never get old for me. Anytime, <laughs> I especially love Spike just. <laughs> appears flying through the air it's it is so good it's so funny mm-hmm. and then both of them in unison i thought you were the I first can, i thought you were, I guess exactly. why are you not hurt you know it's, just, it's great well, and then when giles says if you thought i was the first why did you come running at me and then spike has that moment of like yeah and think about it which is actually really yeah, actually actually didn't plan that, that is peak spike yeah. is to just go with his gut and not think about it you know um, yeah. he's not a thinker i will solve my problems by jumping on exactly. them like it's very <laughs> it's very good it's It's very good it's super cute um the other stuff that i liked in this episode i like the buffy and spike stuff um i love you know when he bumps into her in the hallway you know and he says i hear you got a date look at me i'm fine my eyes are clear um i'm not dreaming of a crypt with a picket fence you know (laughs) a crypt for two with a white picket fence is a great line yes that is good and then he goes on with the you know and the picket fence anyway bloody dangerous like i love that you know like joking around about the whole vampire thing he's trying to make her feel comfortable which i love and then he says my eyes are clear i'm fine and she's like okay i'm a move on and then she leaves and we just get him staring off into space you know and you can see that it's bothering him but it's a sweet nice little moment well and it's super consistent right because spike is the one who's given us the speech about you'll never be friends yeah this the way we can see them in this scene trying to do the we are not together, but we're going to have a friendly interaction mm-hmm. thing. And they're both 
kind of uncomfortable under the surface, yeah. which I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. It's something I really love about the performance. But then, see, this is this is the kind of subtlety that I love that we don't usually get from this show, <laughs> which is when we leave Spike there mm-hmm. after being like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. In his affect is the echo of the you'll never be friends yeah. mm-hmm. speech. And it's just great. It's it is. so good. It's really, really nice. And then we get, you know, of course, when they find out that Xander's in trouble or whatever, and Spike is like, I'll go get her. You know, he keeps saying, I'll go get her. And they're like, no, we'll just call her, you know, all this stuff. And then yeah. when they try to call her, of course, it rings because she's left her cell phone behind because Buffy and technology, they've never been actual friends. Um, and so then Spike is just like, OK, I'll go get her. I can smell her. I'll find her. You know, it's <laughs> it's kind of sweet and, you know, and very human, you know, for our vampire character, yeah. which is really, really yeah. nice. Um, and then, you know, he goes, he interrupts the date. We have all of this awkwardness with Robin Wood, you know, during that time. Um, and then they go and they fight together. And afterward, he's getting the shit kicked out of him by Ashanti, which is always fun to see. Um, and then Buffy rushes to his side and she's concerned and they have this tender moment, you know, which I think is really nice. And when they go back, he says, um, I'm going to leave. You have another demon fighter. You don't need me. And the, you know, the little, the, the boy said that it's not time for me yet. And so let me yeah. get out of here before it's time. And she just says, I'm not ready for you to not be here. And they have this moment. And this is a moment where he understands exactly what that means, you know? Um, and, and he says, what about the principal? You know, it shows that he understands what that means. And so, yeah, for a show not really understanding, you know, not really, I I would say, you know, in the subtlety business, um, there's some really (laughs) nice subtlety throughout this this whole thing with Spike. And I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Spike is, I mean, Spike is complicated and he continues to be complicated Mm -hmm. and they really use that to the advantage of the show Mm -hmm. like he is delightful to watch because i mean and it's it's the writing certainly but it's also james marsters and the way that he brings all of spike to spike Mm -hmm. most of the time it's just i mean it's fantastic and this is now a james marsters fangirl podcast so you know that's cool oh, that's yeah, cool no. let's just do, you know this is the like, whole point am, spike is the reason why well I and also that. i mean i need things to rave about <laughs> in this episode like i really yeah, do mm-hmm. um his performance is just is is so good and <laughs> the look on his face when principal wood is like how do y'all know each other? And Buffy's like, ah, uh, we work together. And it's just, Spike is just silent. Like he's, yeah. because we know, I mean, their long history of like, uh, we're in a band exactly. together. Like it's great. I, I love the, yeah. how do you two know each other? Yeah. It's just that, that joke never gets old that for me. That joke never gets old. And if they had said we're in a band together, that would have been hilarious. Um, yes. But yeah, like, and speaking of Robin Wood, I think he's also one of the highlights. Now, not the way he's written, not the stupid misdirect, um, but I love him in this complicated thing with his mom. His mom is, of course, Nikki Wood, who we saw Spike kill in Fool for Love. Um, and this is a woman who has been fridged twice, basically, for two men's stories, yeah. for Spike's story in Fool for Love and then for Robin's story here that he is out to avenge her death and then to have her as the first talking to him different actress from who we had in Fool for Love will let that go for the moment but um but she's talking to him about you know I I love that where she's like I give you a compliment you don't say thank you you know and he knows she's the first and he's like I've got no use for you and then she says don't you want to know who killed me you fought with him you worked by his side that whole thing and then she goes now what do you say and he says thank you and that is brilliant writing I love that end yeah yeah well and it's I mean that reveal feels a little bit I don't know you called it out in the summary mm-hmm. and I wonder how much of my like well of course that's who his mother right. is mm-hmm. like does that come from 
you know, this is a fully spoiled podcast mm-hmm. and like we know what's up yeah. here. But like, I don't know. I I kind of wish I could go back and watch that again for the first time. Right. Because it doesn't. Like, I love that scene and I love that reveal, but I, I think it doesn't work as well the second time through. Mm-hmm. And that's another aspect to, you know, the twist or the reveal or whatnot that it should, I think, mm-hmm. I mean, for my money, it should work again, yeah. but maybe in a different way. Yeah, exactly. And it doesn't mm. for me. And I don't quite know why. That's interesting. Um, it really works for me every single time. Really? Yeah, I, I still like it every single time. Um, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I think the thing that it does is that D.B. Woodside is so great and so charming and has been given nothing interesting to do. That scene where the first yeah, is his mother true. and he walks through her and he says, I have no use for you. That makes my heart flutter. I'm like, this guy. And then to flip that into such a specific vulnerability that plays into a line of conflict that's already been set up in this love triangle with the three of them. Um, For me, that works really, really well. And I like seeing that. I like him. As soon as we give him vulnerability, as soon as we give him an objective, which he wants to, you know, get vengeance for his mother's death and he wants to kill Spike, um, we make him an actual character in the show. Up until now, he's just been this weird, you know, hodgepodge of misdirects, you know, and and Mm -hmm. weird shit that doesn't make any sense, you know, but now he's actually a real character. And D.B. Woodside, I think, is an amazing actor. And he does wonderful stuff with it. But now he's actually got, they've given him a football to carry. And I love Mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) you have a little... You have a little rant? I have, question a, mark? I, have a, I have a minor thing. I have a minor thing. A minor thing. This drives me crazy. Yes. And again, you know, we've talked a little bit about how Buffy is not like necessarily, you know, here to be, do the subtle thing, right? But there's right. this lovely moment, right? As as we have Wood and he is driving and he keeps looking in the rear view mirror suspiciously at Spike who's in the backseat and has crashed his date, right? So Yes. He's looking in the rearview mirror at Spike, but Spike can't be there because vampire. So when he's looking in the rearview mirror and we see that look on his face, I'm like, oh, he knows now, of course, that Spike is a vampire. And so that's something that's going to throw him off because why is the Slayer hanging out with the vampire? What the hell's going on here? Yada, yada, right? They go in, they fight. Uh, Ashanti starts beating the ever-loving shit out of Spike, which is always a joy to watch. Um, And then Spike vamps. And then we cut to Robin Wood going, (laughs) he's a vampire, right? Yeah. Which Robin Wood would have already known because it's pretty much only vampires that are not reflected in a rearview mirror. So here we go from this lovely, subtle moment in which he is glaring at the empty space that would be Spike in the rearview mirror. Yeah. Um, And then, and Spike is looking also seemingly like Spike would know that this is going to give him away sitting in the back seat in a car. Like he's got to know that that's going to give him away as a vampire if the guy looks in the rearview at all. Um, So we have all of this and it's lovely and it's wonderful and it's subtle and I love it. And then we have, oh, he's a vampire, as though Robin Wood is just <laughs> discovering this for the first time. And I don't, I don't, I don't understand. <laughs> I mean, okay. I think mm-hmm. he knows in that moment when he looks in the rear view. Yeah. And we have that great subtle, like mm-hmm. his face just like hardens. Right. And it's so wonderful. But he has to say... He's a vampire. So the audience knows that Wood knows the Spike yeah, is a vampire. That is like, a... I really think that is for the audience. I yeah. think he absolutely knows the second he looks in the rearview mirror and sees nothing. But this is not a subtle show. No, and we really have to let the audience yeah. know that 
they know that you know we know that you know that they know that yeah that is not trusting your audience on like a galactic level like you have got to trust your audience that they're going to be able to pick this stuff up um but anyway yeah it was just it was a really weird moment that just kind of stuck out to me i also really like that you picked up on a very mundane detail which i thought was kind of fun i did this is the kind of (laughs) and this is the kind of thing that i pick up on so Something I'm genuinely enjoying mm-hmm. in this wild ride of a season is the highlighted little moments of daily life. Mm-hmm. I like that Willow is folding laundry while Buffy talks to her about the maybe a date with Principal mm-hmm. Wood. It's never called out. There's just a basket of laundry and Willow's like sorting and folding. And they're having a wonderful Mm -hmm. conversation that I think is an example of some of the really good writing in this episode Mm -hmm. of their friendship in that scene comes across to me as very genuine. Yes. Mm -hmm. In the way that they're sort of teasing each other. But I love so Willow, Willow is just doing this like daily life task like yep impending apocalypse we've declared war on the literal first evil but like i still need to make sure that all of these socks have mates you know like i love Mm -hmm. it i love it so much and then when buffy's getting ready for her date she's having that conversation in the bathroom with anya i'm like why is anya doing the stain removal on buffy's shirt (laughs) but Still, I mean, laundry 2B. Yes. I mean, I, I wish it were a 3B. Like, uh, yeah. where is my laundry 3B? Wouldn't that be it's really what I'm We have what a I'm microwave saying. 2B and we have a laundry 2B. But we yeah. don't have a 3B on any of it. We need a 3B. Mm-hmm. We need a laundry 3B. Yeah. But, like, laundry specifically feels to me like a very, mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe because it is one of those tasks, those household tasks that is just, like, literally never done. Yes. fold put away all of the laundry and then there's still laundry yeah i don't know it's it's annoying Mm -hmm. but i mean doing laundry b2 where is mm, i want i want b3 (laughs) but i have to i also have to wonder Mm -hmm. so anya says something about not being able to get the stain out and it's maybe pizza and i want to know is this the shirt that Dawn got pizza yes. on in conversations with dead people and shrugged and said, eh, she'll think it's blood? Yes, it is a callback to conversations. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. And I think that there's something, I think part of the reason that I love, I love that moment in conversations with dead people. I love this. I love the laundry here. I think the specificity mm-hmm. of doing laundry of doing domestic tasks of the the potentials all rooting through the pantry for snacks somehow that mundanity makes all of the fantasy feel more relatable maybe Mm -hmm. as opposed to buffy is a slayer who has to work a fast food job Mm -hmm. feels i don't know that feels less accessible somehow because it's like we're putting fantasy into the mundane Mm -hmm. like the mundane becomes the focus when buffy has to pay rent Mm -hmm. and full copper repipe the house and whatnot it's the the mundane is the focus and then the fantasy is kind of the backdrop Mm -hmm. but here we've got this mundane inserted into the fantasy Mm -hmm. and for whatever reason that makes all of the rest of it feel more relatable accessible real to me Mm -hmm. in a way that i can't quite articulate beyond what i just said yeah well it it absolutely does make sense i mean it does like anchor you in the daily reality of you know what's going on here even though there's fantasy and i think you make a really good point in that the mundanity took over in season six you know and became the focus which is not what we go to buffy for you know, but to have the mundane sort of like, you know, floating on top of this, this really, you know, intense fantasy story, I think is the right mix for something like this. I dig it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. All right. So here we are at the end of first date. Thank goodness. And uh, I got to ask you, what is your favorite part? Well, I'm realizing we didn't even talk about the kind of wordplay that is the title (laughs) and that the only real first date is Andrew and Jonathan and Ah, whatever. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. anyway, anyway, 
Um, I think honestly, my favorite thing about this episode is that it probably wouldn't be made today. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. because we wouldn't do the we're making fun of a character for being Chinese. I mean, God, I hope I hope that would not happen. I hope it would um, not. Yeah. And then just not include our other potential who is a person of color. Yeah. Where the fuck is Rona in this episode? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, I No, but really, I mean, my actual favorite part, yeah. like the delight in this episode for me is Andrew and the microwave manual. <laughs> it is so cute. That's the love story that I'm here to see, honestly. <laughs> what about you, Lonnie? What's your favorite part? Um, is Spike and the white picket fence. I think that whole thing is just adorable. And, and when he says, my eyes are clear. You know, and does that just to make her comfortable. Like, that's when we see Spike's soul at work, you know, in, in that his his goal there is to make her comfortable. And he will lie to her to do that, you know. Um, whereas, you know, prior to getting his soul... Um, if he lied to her, it was to manipulate her into, you know, doing what he wanted her to do or whatever. It was never Mm -hmm. a lie done in service of someone else. It was always a lie done in service of him and what he selfishly wanted. And this is a lie that actually shuts down what he wants and puts her first. And I really liked it. All right, if you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, follow at Chipperish on Twitter and use the hashtag #StillPretty. Or as a Patreon supporter at any level, you can join the Chipperish Discord group and chat live with other listeners and the hosts. Hey, did you know Patreon supporters who chip in at $10 and up get to attend show recordings live? And we've got a stretch goal. Very soon, we're going to unlock the monthly chip chat where Lonnie will host a private one hour monthly Zoom call open to every supporter to talk about whatever, no matter what amount you pledge. So if you haven't pledged your support yet, now's the time. Speaking of supporters, this episode of Still Pretty was brought to you by the Chipperish media producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Still Pretty is coming to you free and ad-free right now. So thank you to Abby, Alice, Christina, Erica, Jonathan, Kevin, Kristen, Rose, Sarah, Shelley, Stephania, and Stephanie. And this week's special message for our power producers, so many dead girls. There will be so many dead girls. While you're waiting for the next episode of Still Pretty, here are some things you can do. Write a great review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about the show or stop looking like Jonathan. You're not him. You're the first. And you're trying to get me to shoot innocent girls, but I won't do it. I'm good now. We will be back next time with Get It Done, the 15th episode of season seven. Until then, I'm evil and I want to do the best I can at that. So I want to know stuff. Stuff.